The benefit of the technology is that it can also be trained to watch itself and to protect itself from that bad training. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me today is Amber. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Dave. How are you? Good. In Toronto for Collision. Uh, so, went to Niagara Falls yesterday. I know, that sounds very exciting, but we were literally just saying about the car journey, and I do not envy you in the slightest for having to drive a car in another country, because that that is just my worst nightmare. The other country bit was okay. The fact it was a, it was a left-hand drive was really bloody weird, and... I, I don't know. It took me about half an hour to not brake randomly far too hard because it's it was an automatic, obviously, because it's North America. And I, I was using, I just got my feet completely, being disorientated on the wrong side of the car. For some reason, I was using my left foot for the brake and my right for the gas, which was stupid. I should have just put my left foot where the clutch would be and use my right foot for both like I normally would. And obviously, my left foot has no sensitivity, so I kept kind of nearly flying through the windscreen. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. See, even that is just sending me into a state of panic, just hearing that story. Well, I don't know what it is. I just think as soon as you go and, like, when I've driven, like, different cars before, like, I just forget how to drive. Like, everything I've been taught, everything I know is just, like, just completely gone. Like, I'm just my feet all over the place. Like, I'm just really disorientated. I'm like, I know what I'm doing here. This is just a different car. Like, come on, sort yourself out. Dri- yeah, driving out of central Toronto was a bit kind of, I'm quite stressed here. Um, and it was pouring rain initially because uh, there was a thunderstorm. So the visibility wasn't great. And then onto a freeway and, like, everything's in the wrong place. And obviously my left hand kept kind of reaching out for nothing that was there apart from the car door. Um, it was a bit. It was a bit weird. But Niagara Falls was worth it. So there we go. Good. You've lived to tell the tale, Dave. That's the main thing. (laughs) Anyway, look, um, we have got David Lee as our guest today. And there's a nice synergy here because he was a guest that I met at Web Summit in Rio and Web Summit Rio, Collision, Web Summit in Lisbon, all ran by the same organisation. So we thought we'd uh, do a bit of a collision. Hey, we're at Collision Special by talking to someone from one of the kind of the sister conferences. We're going to be talking about IoT, AI, privacy. Um, We'll hand over to that interview and we'll be back afterwards. Today I'm talking to David Lee, the chairman and CEO of Ivera. How are you today? I'm wonderful, David. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you again. Uh, You're over on the West Coast. I can see that it's a beautiful day behind you. Uh, Whereabouts exactly are you? I'm near the coast, but not quite there. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm the desert before you hit the coast in California. We met in in Web Summit in Rio. It was a pleasure to meet you. And we spoke a little bit about Evita there. But for people who, who aren't familiar with you or your business, do you just want to give us some context? Sure. Thank you. Uh, Iveda is a 20-year um, uh innovation company started here in phoenix slash mesa arizona um at the beginning was uh, in 2003 2005 over ip video surveillance in the cloud so if you can imagine back then we were one of the first companies that hosted video on our customers behalf so video surveillance as a service 
And over the span of a decade and two, the evolution of both internet speeds, uh, readily available uh, storage mechanisms and streaming technology improved. So we became that big data company hosting a lot of customer video and streaming a lot of video. Um, we had a lot of content. So therefore, the evolution to what we are today is data you know, management and maintenance. Every bit of sensor. So they're introduced IoT, the Internet of Things, right, from uh, uh, environmental sensors to physical awareness of where things are. And of course, let's not forget video data. We leveraged machine learning over eight years ago. We didn't call it AI just yet, but we needed a mechanism to mine our data. Remember those terms, right? <laughs> we had to specifically find an object without the human eye sifting through rewinding and fast forwarding video. We actually use uh, what we know today as artificial intelligence to learn what specific objects look like. And today we can find almost any object in any data, uh, you know, past or real time in a matter of seconds. So today we are an IoT AI company specializing in smart city applications. That's Iveda today. Now forgive the perhaps naive assumption, but when you talk about being able to find any data, sorry, any, any image within data within seconds, I would, I would assume, oh, that's got to be really handy for perhaps the emergency services or something along those lines. What, what is your typical customer? Is it public services? Is it something like fire, rescue, police, or is it from private enterprise? Who tends to be interested in what this technology can do for them? We're fortunate to, uh, Dave, I'm fortunate to be able to answer that question by saying that we have a great balance of both private enterprises and government municipalities. But for both types of organizations, the, the common ground is, is improving existing staff efficiency. You know, whether we are looking for a product or material that comes in and out of our warehouse and we're counting it, or we are looking for, say, um, a certain type of vehicle at an intersection, traffic counting. You know, in the old days, you would toss a rubber line across, and when your tires hit dunk, dunk, twice, then that's one car. <laughs> well, today with AI, municipalities are actually not just counting vehicles, but they're counting what type of vehicles on a particular area or road. So that helps build efficiency into development planning, urban planning, um, private industries, uh, use it for people counting, customer uh, awareness, and um, security and safety of uh, material coming in and out of their facility. And objects can mean anything from a purse, a box, a car, a bike, a person, um, type of object. And it's uh, what's great about AI is that what it doesn't know now, David, you know we can train it. And that allows both our customer and us the flexibility to actually designing an application that makes sense within an existing operation. So man, the tech really provides that flexibility now, which makes it easy, makes it easy. When we talk about smart cities then, which you, which you mentioned, I, I imagine most people are familiar with the concept of a smart city, but specifically, what are you talking about? 
we're talking about um, having the right and effective information or data that allows we, the human operator, to make a decision. That's what a smart city is, is to be able to collect in real time or as close to it as possible all the relevant data of how much rain is is coming down. Where is a potential flood? Are the transportation lines, and when I say transportation, we're talking water, sewage, and gas, right? Everything that affects us that we're not aware of, but it's all part of our lives every day within a city. A smart city has true relevant data on all that aspects in real time. I'm not saying we don't have it today, but it requires a manual human to run and inspect a meter, to verify a meter. A smart city would monitor all of this together, cohesively, and guess what? The smart city makes the decision on behalf of the human as well, should we are not able to tend to it in time, right? Floodwaters need floodgates to be open. Um, overheating uh, conduit needs to have power shut off. Uh, pressure valves under gas or water lines need to be released or turned off. A smart city does that for safety, not just efficiency. Now, I'm just sharing with you underground infrastructure, but above ground, people talk about autonomous vehicles. They talk about citizen public safety in the streets. Imagine AI leveraging that data, understanding the normal movements of an average day of a city block. Well, what if it's not normal? What if it's something abnormal? Two cars touching one another. <laughs> That's called a car accident, <laughs> right? A crowd coming together at this intersection in the middle of the day. Why, right? That could be disturbance, crowd, whatever. And and that's just me finding examples that have been discussed by by the people, you know, from the people that we met with. But really, a smart city is a city that can, on its own, understand all the data that it's currently producing now, but be able to understand all the abnormalities and call it out, call it out to we, the human operator attention. That's that's smart. Look, you, you mentioned there that you've been using machine learning for some time and you know, you're, you're collecting a huge amount of data. You talked about video surveillance. I, I imagine the vast majority of people would love to benefit from the services that you're describing. Who wouldn't want safer cities? You know, who wouldn't want better services? Absolutely. But there will also be people that raise privacy concerns and say, hang on a minute, who's training the machine learning algorithms to understand what it's looking at? And no, no human can possibly be across all of that data, all of those data points. How do you answer those concerns specifically, I suppose, around bias and privacy? Yeah, you know, good, good, good question, David. And, and you know, in Rio, um, we were asked that quite often and with, you know, with all the people that we've talked to. And, and I think uh, I'm going to address it in the same manner is uh, people have a concern um, over privacy with the technology. But my, my response is, and I think you said it, it, it all comes back to the human, right? It's, it's we that uh, are responsible for the protocols, for the uh, uh, operational 
um, I would say, uh, standards and security around how we handle this. But at the end of the day, I hope that we don't blame the technology. And that that's the fact that I want to make clear. It is we, the humans, that, that have what the technology doesn't have. And I'll even use the word yet. That We're the guys that make the mistake. We're the guys that, that are nosy, right? Humans are nosy. We're the guys that, that might be have the urge to do something wrong. But here comes the technology. The technology, though, can be trained uh, with the bias of from a bad uh, human. But the, on, on, on the reverse side, the benefit of the technology is that it can also be trained to watch itself and to protect itself from that bad training. I don't know if anybody ever brought that up before, but that is a fact. We need at this point, I would trust the technology more than I would the human operator. So if I were a practitioner, I, I do agree with, with we, the general public and, and general public sentiments on a concern of privacy and, and misuse. First thing is very simple, just like we have the law of the land in our societies today. Let's just create some protocols that we operate by as professionals and make sure that we, at standard, train the machine to understand the same thing. It mm. needs to understand the good, bad, and ugly, and it itself will police itself. That, that's really cool there, is that when you try to do something and say, hey, dude, let's, uh, you want to try something here? Let's, let's, let's go rob the bank. The machine would go, dude, that's wrong. You don't do that. You can train the machine to do that. You know, but it's a human that invited the machine to rob a bank. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody brought it to that perspective, but I like to do that. So I, I used to always have to address the concern of the technology taking over and, and all this. So I, I'm trying to find a clever way, David, to, to kind of turn the question around. So look, I, I agree with the, with the fundamentals, with the principles of what you're saying, 100%. It's interesting. We, we we here at Nash Squared have a have a digital leadership report every single year. Um, two in five leaders from in excess of three thousand surveyed said that they felt nervous about um, data and analytics because they didn't feel that they would get the value from those technologies if they tried to implement them. So whilst I agree. 100% with what you're saying. I suppose there's also a question of how do we actually deploy these technologies? And you're talking about citywide deployment here to actually tangibly get the benefit and and, and realize the potential where, where you're making an investment. And I ask that knowing that you've written written articles or written posts around the idea of, you know, don't let the power of AI scare you. The tech's on our side. It's how we control it. So what steps can people practically take to make sure that, that they do uh, get that benefit when they're, when they're deploying tech? Yeah, it's, um, I'm going to try to make it where one can visualize my, my response here for with us, David, is um, when we say citywide, uh, I, I would have to say it requires an ecosystem, just like any good system out there, whether it's farming, transportation, your own household. It's the ecosystem that makes a solution viable. When you take AI alone and you take it to just a specific industry or niche, let's say AI is going to help in accounting. 
great. What, however it crunches numbers, verifies numbers is one thing. And then AI is going to help me inspect dings on a door of a car manufacturer. Great. That's just a lot of data and very specific. My method and, and use of this is from our partners and customers out there, there's always problems that people are looking to solve. And that's where Iveda and, and an integration company like ours comes into play is, is we face the problems. We're not here to look for data to invite you into our stores. We're not here to try to crunch more numbers. We're here with, dude, I've got floods happening every September of this year on six islands, you know, customer in the Philippines. How do we manage this better? How do we better not just prepare for it, but how do we have AI which provides us some automation support? So if you look at it as a problem-solving tool rather than a data collective or generate or generating tool, it becomes a whole new perspective in how you apply this form of technology. So in our world, physical problem-solving by building automations to support where humans cannot be there at the right and most appropriate time. And that requires an ecosystem. So many little parts that need to come together. This is where IoT and AI make sense, right? Those words alone, terms alone, people can make so many other, uh, uh, have so many ideas on, on what it is and, some, and a lot don't even know what it is. But in the real world, when you apply the tech, people will be able to comprehend it when you can, when, when you can share with them that, look, you're not going to see seasonal flooding or puddling in this street anymore because weather detection now goes out 10 miles and, and reports back and understands where our reservoirs are, how high it is, how low it is, and our flood gates and our canals and all this. They're talking with each other. So the perspective of where Iveda sees and recognizes technology is very different. I'm, I'm not as much as I use the word data mining. I'm not digging into anybody's data irrelevantly just for the amassing the data count itself. If it doesn't make sense to us, if it doesn't open a door for me at the right time or put out a fire for me, it's useless technology to me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, at the beginning of this interview, you described your business as a 20-year innovation company. Yes, Obviously, sir. innovation, new ideas is, is so crucial to a successful business. What do you think has been the, the, the secret for your organization in retaining that DNA? I'm going to have to say, it may sound cliche, our customers, they're the secret. You know, for, for a company, we love to be in the field. I myself still... Uh, face our customers in the field in multiple countries and regions around the world. And David, you know what we hear? We hear a lot of problems. And it is the obligation to think of creative means to solve a physical problem that people like you and I experience every day managing our uh, neighborhoods, our, our, our own uh, community, uh, our buildings, etc., and it's one thing to Google these facts, but it's another to hear from the person that is in charge of keeping things running. And man, there's always complaints. There's always an issue 
that traditional staid methodology and technology is not addressing. And you want people say, oh, we're innovative and we got to stay innovative. You know how I stay innovative? I hear a lot of problems out there and we're just like, dude, how do we solve that? You know, traditional engineering methodologies, right? It's in our blood. If, if you need to make something work, you're just going to figure it out. But if I sit here and follow industry talks alone, you and I know there's so many thoughts and ideas and concepts, but it doesn't mean anything other than fancy talk. Mm-hmm. I take it real in the street grassroots, and we're going to figure out, dude, how do we prevent this petroleum uh, how do we make the employees safer working at this petroleum, uh, petroleum refinery? And we're working on a project like this now. Do you know that during delivery of, of gas into a storage tank is one of the most dangerous process there is out there? And there's people like you and I employed to do this every day, yet one slight error, unbeknownst to us can cause a huge disaster. And and simple IoT sensors and devices with AI that detect these little minor abnormalities on all the equipment that we use will actually prevent those disasters. What a concept, you know? It's so easy, but we gotta hear it, we gotta feel it, and we start designing around that. That's innovation. One last quick question then, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, you're a successful founder. Your business is on the NASDAQ. You must go to these conferences. And as you said, you, you get asked a lot of questions about your business. But what questions do you have? You know, you, what, what, what do you look to your peer group and go, hang on a minute, guys. What do you think about X? Wow. I think you're the first that's asked me that, David. <laughs> My question, um, and, and I'm, I have to think of it now, to be honest with you. But when I sit there with peers and we know the kind of we kind of all anticipate the question that we would get and we're we're all in sync with each other. We high five each other. And, you know, that's right. My question is, is do you really believe. That what we're talking about here. How far into the future will it will it continue to exist? Because we're all high-fiving each other, feeling cool and knowing what we know and believe that all this is happening now and we're on the forefront. My question, honestly, in my gut is, it's cool now, but how far into the future will it continue to stay like this? Or else is something else going to replace it? And if it is, what is it? So that's my, that's my fear is innovation um, is either you're going to have innovation that sticks and you're going to have innovation that's just a fad. And I do ask that sincerely. You know, it's exciting now because I've been there through the video surveillance industry. It's a small industry, but man, there's so many changes that I've seen come and go, millions of dollars invested, including on my own experience, and nothing came of it because we're not taken into sincere consideration of how the public will accept this or not. That's, that's, uh, so I do question, how long will it last? And, and I'll tell you my little secret, David, is I answer my own question. If I believe it's going to last long, 
<laughs> I stick to it and I start developing that. And my test of, of that validity is talking to my customers because customers will tell you what it is. Once you make friends with them, they're like, ah, Dave, well, I don't care about that. And you know what? You better listen because when that operator doesn't care, man, it's not going to last. So that that's really the, the question. But you got to ask the general public. David, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for giving up some time. I'll let you get back my to pleasure. your day. But uh, yeah, it's lovely to actually have you on the show. Awesome. And thanks for having me. Good to see you again, David. Okay. So there's a lot in here. Mm. Um, I suppose what I'm most interested to find out your reaction to is this idea of how much we should trust the tech over humans. Because I, I think it's quite an admission from David that he talks about I would trust the technology more than the human operator when I ask him about security and so on. And he says he's always facing that question, but he's trying to find a clever way of turning it around, which felt like a slight omission that there are perhaps some real concerns at the moment, but I do understand what he's getting at too when he's when he's saying that perhaps when you're talking about an ecosystem and connected devices and all of these very, very complex systems that training the AI to recognize when there are problems is better than relying on a human to do it. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what? This is the point that I actually um, sort of, well, this is the, the sort of the part of the interview that I sort of took away as well, actually, because I know you sort of mentioned something about, um, it was like robbing a bank, wasn't it? And you sort of, you know, a human can sort of say not to do that, whereas a machine can, I suppose, can start to have that instinct of that they just, wouldn't do that. I can't remember exactly how you framed it, but um, this part sort of, sort of stood out. But um, I don't know, it's a tricky one because you think like there's a lot of mistakes that would come from human error. So, Or genuine human manipulation. Well, yeah, exactly. So like you say, I, I don't know. It's I think it comes back to that point around, um, like you say, obviously the trust and who you put your trust into. But yeah. also it's like, a, I think it's a power thing as well. Like, you know, if you... And this might sound absolutely bonkers, but um, if you put all the power into the like the machine and the tech, like I don't know, I don't know. Like there's just so many different sort of theories and things, and maybe some of them are a little bit out there at the moment. But um, like, does it take away from the kind of like trying to regulate this? And and should there be more regulations? And if you move away more from like the human and the operator having some control, then it's like, are we just putting all of our trusted into the into tech I, I don't know i don't know if that's quite a scary kind of concept yeah and it's a massive trust thing isn't it i think that i think the point is is that it's such a leap to go all right smart city and I, the point that, that i suppose listening back to it was where i was like oh, wow is when he's talking about floodgates and the machine deciding whether or not it's time to open the floodgates that bit if it wasn't a secure system could so easily be be manipulated by someone mm. to cause disaster and we know that state actors are constantly now trying to undermine each other um to gain the upper hand that infrastructures are, are, are being attacked that you know battles and, and wars are not fought necessarily on a physical um field anymore and that if you haven't got you know if you are a smart city and it's a highly complicated complex ecosystem that could become a target and if it's mm. compromised that's a real concern so to have that trust and to go okay this company this set of technologies it it will be robust it will be secure and it will understand when there's something going wrong is a big leap and it's one that you want people to be able to make because 
the benefits if it's done well are obvious Mm. yeah definitely and I think like you say that that leap will be it's kind of like a mindset shift isn't it really it's it's trying to get people on board with that and if they can see the benefits behind it and they can start to see that you know it is a more um kind of effective way of doing things then they'll probably be more inclined to go for it whereas at the moment I don't know if we put our trust into sort of technology that much that we'd be sort yeah. of like willing to just say yeah yeah okay we'll take away the human element and 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 sort of run with kind of just putting the trust in the tech I don't think we've done that so it, it is kind of that fear of the unknown in a sense yeah But I do love that they're trying to build something that solves problems, that this isn't just about another data set to sell something to a customer, a thing on a door, something gimmicky, something clever. It's about let's pool stuff together, let's connect them and let's try and use this technology to solve problems. That's that's really kind of aspirational and does get away from that kind of high fiving aspect of, um, you know, when he's talking about, well, how long will this stuff last? uh, I don't think you're going to get public buy-in necessarily for increasingly vain um, investments. Yeah. I, I think in, in, in particular when um, economies are under, under stress and people's household finances are stressed, if, if if a city is going to make a big investment with a technology company, they're, they're going to want those that money to be spent in a way that's genuinely going to improve people's lives. So, mm. you know, I, I think it all kind of comes together at that point. Mm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like you're saying, a lot of the stuff at the moment, um, and I was going to mention this earlier, so I went to go see Abba Voyage at the weekend, right? So that's obviously, which is really I'm cool. jealous. I'm jealous, um, actually. I would, I, would, I would love to go see it. Ah, it's awesome. It's really, really good. Um, but obviously, a lot of that is kind of AI. And like you say, that's a lot of the gimmicky stuff. So we we see it, we enjoy it, we appreciate it, but actually what kind of benefit and value is it sort of adding to our lives? Like, it was a great show. Oh, it's great music. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, a great, great show. But um, yeah, yeah. like you say, this has, like, you know, the purpose behind it is um, they're trying to do a lot more. And like you say, that's when people will sort of, will kind of, will take stuff away from this. So it's it's not kind of the flashy, because it's, you know, it's, it's hot topic and it's sort of in the press and stuff right now. It's actually like, we want to do something a bit more kind of effective and long-term with this, which... Yeah, yeah. people would appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Let's not throw money. We should we should play out. If I, if it wasn't going to be a copyright infringement, I'd I'd stick money, money, money on at the end of the podcast. But, uh... <laughs> Do you know what? They didn't even play that one. Can you believe it? What? No, didn't ah. even play that one. I know. I was they got so many hits. They got so many bloody hits that well, actually packing the them into a pl- into a set list. Exactly. I had to cram it into sort of ninety minutes. They were yeah. I mean, it's not a bad problem to have though, is it? <laughs> no. No. Right. Well, look, uh, I will let you go because time is creeping on in the UK and it is horribly early here in Canada. But if you're at Collision, um, so are we. So say hi. Uh, And to everyone else, we'll be back on Thursday. Bye.